Good evening, good morning, good afternoon. Whenever and wherever you're listening to this, this is From Checker to Green, the podcast all about racing as told by two lifelong racing fans and from time to time talking about the business aspects of racing, the green it takes to take the green. Welcome everybody to episode 32. I am David Maudy. Alongside is my colleague, Elliot Tardif. Elliot, good evening. Good evening, sir. How's things down south in North Carolina? Well, things are very well here. The The weather has been downright pleasant here in recent days. Um, you could fool me if uh, you told me it was uh, mid-February. I think we got up to about 65 or 70 today. It's going to be about 70, I think, tomorrow. Um, and then a little bit of a reset heading into next week. But had a, um, a little bit of a, uh, a COVID visit in, uh, in our house here in recent weeks. Uh, our son picked it up. And uh, thankfully, his symptoms were mild and brief. But uh, he had to understandably stay home from uh, from daycare for a little while. And uh, so that was uh, a little bit of a challenge in terms of trying to keep a toddler entertained uh, day in and day out for, uh, I think it was about 10 days or so. But uh, but we had fun with it. Our son did too. And uh, he, he went back uh, today and uh, he, uh, he missed his friends. We could tell he had a lot of fun. So very thankful that uh, symptoms were, were brief and mild. Also very thankful that Thus far, neither my wife nor I have picked it up as well. So, so very grateful for that. Yeah, things are going well up here in New York State. Whatever warmth you've got down there, you're just sending it up our way. I mean, the snow's melting. We had a snowstorm last week, and it's been in the 40s. Uh, actually, 51. I, I actually, my car said 54 today. So, I mean... It was, you know, low mid fifties and, you know, it's going to be in the forties. We're going to get a cold snap. And then I was looking at the 10 day and we're looking at the mid forties, maybe low fifties mid next week. So I might finally actually be able to, um, you know, get the Christmas decorations put away, but good deal. Things are going here. We have flu bug go through the the stomach bug go through our house, but yeah, it's that time of year. So, but to change topics is another time of year, and racing kicked off a couple weeks ago with the Rolex Twenty Four, Elliot. Yes, sir. Uh, the official commencing of Speed Weeks at Daytona. Um, and it was a thrilling race start to finish. Um, and the finish in particular was, uh, especially thrilling this year. So, um, David, I know you in particular, um, paid especially close attention to this year's running of the Rolex 24. Um, and, uh, you had watched it on, uh, on Peacock this year. So, uh, why don't you go ahead, take it away and, um, tell us about, uh, first about your experience watching the race on Peacock. And then um, what the, um, how the, how the race ended up playing out. Well, yeah. I mean, first off, it, it's amazing for Peacock. I mean, if you want a streaming service to watch sports on 
um, especially NBC, you know, Peacock, there's a lot of good motorsports programs on there. I will say you will have to pay for the, um, you will, you know, if you want to get the sports, you do have to pay, uh, it's five bucks a month. Um, it's 10 bucks if you want ad free. Um, I didn't care. I rather pay five bucks plus more content and the Olympics are going on so I can watch replays instead of having to stay up at 3am to watch a, a, um, you know, USA hockey, whoop some butt (laughs) and, you know, or, or the luge or the bobsled. And so we've been, um, but it, it was fun. Um, I will say watching the 24 hours on Peacock, I started watching it in the beginning on Peacock and actually watched it until, um, you know, it, uh, I went to bed, but I was watching it throughout the evening here and there, and then went to bed, woke up, watched it until about 12 when the, and then actually I flipped NBC on. Um, cause I wanted to see what the coverage was like, you know, you know, comparison, but Peacock really good. Um, when they go commercial, um, NBC usually goes side by side. Well, this is, there was no ads that played. They actually just had the camera footage going on. So you were watching full screen, what was happening going on through the race. So that was really cool. Um, watching it on Peacock, listening to different announcers. Um, James Hinchcliffe has um, has retired out of or has retired from IndyCar. He fills Paul Tracy's spot at NBC um, for um, IMSA and the um, IndyCar coverage. He was very good. Steve Letart, um, Elliot. You and I used to pull 24 hours in college as roommates. Uh, Steve Letarte was pulling the, the 24 hour duty and the full thing. I, supposedly. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I, I wasn't watching it at 2 a.m. So I don't know if he was, if he was, but he said, Oh, 6 a.m. I went to go get a coffee and omelet. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it was amazing. Uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. was on there. He, he was good with Calvin Fish, but the coverage was really good. And I, I think NBC um, has found the, their niche in, in covering racing. So I'm going to watch Peacock when they do the Indy 500 this year. And I want to see if they do the same aspect where if they go commercial, all they're going to show you is the, um, the, the live feed, which, which will be interesting because, you know, when it, I mean, before they used to do side-by-sides, you go commercial break on ABC or that on the Indy 500, you didn't have any, you really didn't have any, you know, you miss things. You would miss maybe an exciting pass or crash or pit stop. So, but yeah, it was really good, but awesome, awesome, awesome race this year. And I mean, it was awesome. The 60th running and, um, you may say, you might say for Meyer Shank Racing, um, 
the year the the runnings that end in a zero might be good for them. Um, they won the 50th running and going into it, Wayne Taylor Racing was going for four straight Rolexes. And how it happened in DPI is they fell back early. They fell two laps down um, late in the early on in the race. And um, it looked like they weren't going to, to make it up. They, um, there were cautions that they couldn't, they, they couldn't get through um, the, the cautions weren't falling as much. So the, you're falling behind, you're falling behind, but lo and behold, they changed pit strategy up. They did some cautions and they got those laps back and, and they were leading at times once they got back on the lead lap, but um, the Acuras had a clear advantage on, on fuel over the, the, uh, the Cadillacs and DPI, but it was Helio Castroneves, Tom Bloomquist, Sam, Simon Paginal, and Oliver Jarvis for Meyer Shank Racing, dethroning Wayne Taylor Racing and Ricky Taylor at the Rolex 24. They won it. They had a clear um, advantage over them. Um, that that's how that went. And then the JDC Motorsports with Lokic Duval, Ben Keating, Tristan Walter, and Richard Westbrook were third. Uh, the 48 of Jimmy Johnson's DPI uh, fell, um, ended up 11th overall, fifth in, in DPI. They were like 52 laps down. They, they had problem issues. There were cars having issues. The Corvette team for a GTD Pro had issues. Um, there were cars having issues, and, and that was part of the cold. People were um, using, the, doing everything to keep warm coffee, heated blankets, layering up, wearing winter coats. Um, temperatures overnight got in the 30s, and it was having problems, it was affecting the cars. Um, in LMP, it's very unusual for them. And uh, uh, as a quick point of reference, as you're uh, describing things, the, um, the number three Corvette, they finished uh, 30th overall um, and uh, well down in, in class. I believe they were 13 laps um, yeah. off of the, the winning uh, and, pro pace. And the four had, had trouble too. Um, but in LMP2, it was the Dragon Speed winning it with DeFrances Devlin D or Devlin De Francisco, Pato Award, Colton Hora, and Eric Lux. Uh, kudos to Eric Lux. He is a um, a native of the Buffalo area. So way to go, Western New York. Um, still trying to determine what his relation is to the late Ronnie Lux, but yep, uh, I, that was really good to hear. Um, in LMP3, it was Felipe Fraga, Kaivan Barlow, Michael Cooper, and Gar Robinson winning that. In the pro, this was awesome, the GTT pro. It was the Porsche 911 going up against um, 
of Matthew Jaminet going up against Lawrence Vanthor in the final lap, bailing out, and they got to the bus stop, the Le Mans chicane, and they days of thundered it into there. So, uh, the number two went spinning, and the nine went winning. Um, they took that category, and GTD went to Wright Motorsports, which was Jan Hayden, Richard Letts, uh, Ryan Hardwick, and Zachary Robinson. But overall, thrilling. It got um, it got announced that next year the DPI name will actually be called GTP. They're going back grassroots, so. It's going to be an amazing, uh, it was an amazing race. Car counts should be big next year. So going into the next decade of runnings for the Rolex 24, what a way to kick it off. Very good. Yeah, it sounds like this was uh, a heck of a race and to have two cars trading paint on the last lap of a 24-hour race to determine the victor in any class is truly exceptional. Um, and that finish has been played on social media, um, you know, it's on YouTube. It's, it's gained, uh, you know, that's kind of brought a lot of eyeballs to the, um, the series. I'm looking at the the ratings, uh, the television ratings for for this year, um, and that was uh, compiled by Andrew Krask of Racer.com, um, <clears throat> and it looks like they um, they peaked with a 0.66 rating on NBC, um, and then uh, on when they switched over to USA to cable, they averaged. Uh, they got a, a peak rating there of 0.14. So that's down a little bit um, mm -hmm. from last year. But Krask notes that there may have been some preparations being made. People, viewers may have been preparing for the, um, uh, the NFL championship games that were being played later that day. Um, and he notes in here that the AFC championship game Sunday afternoon pulled in a 23.6 i'm quoting him um, yeah that, so i mean that i i yeah i saw that too and i think that is what is that's what drove it was the was the football games i mean you would you would think if the nfl didn't add a week to their schedule i mean the super bowl would have been held last weekend right and we'd be you know you know, with the, you know, and with a, a Pro Bowl that never, that, that never gets much rating, doesn't get watched. So um, I think it would, I think it would have been a little bit different, but yeah, that is going to have an effect and who knows, you know, but we also, what you also don't know is um, the, I, you know, how many pull in from Peacock? How many right. from the streaming? So, I mean, if you're getting, you know, let's say you've got a million viewers, 
you know, a million people sign, or well, let's let's take a simpler number. Let's say fifteen, or, or let let's say a thousand, and two hundred to three hundred of those are saying, you know, I'm going to watch some of the 24 hours or, or you know, I want to see what this is, is like, mm-hmm. um, or I'm going to watch it, you know, that ends up being like a 20 to 30%. So I, I think I, 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 I just think with TV ratings, I think the issue now with, with live sports is they need to change the metrics up because they're going to have to factor in um, these these streaming services. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see how it goes, but I I'm going to say that the viewership was up a little bit more. I would really hope so. Um, I mean, if they're not counting um, people watching on Peacock um, and, you know, the numbers were still, you know, fairly close to what they mm-hmm. were last year, um, you know, and even with the headwinds that that uh, Krask was talking about here, I mean, that's pretty exceptional. And, yeah. you know, to me, you know, if you're telling me that they can run a 24-hour race and not have any commercial interruptions such that the camera, um, you're not watching, you know, racing action on track um, for 24 hours, I mean, that's, to me, that's, that's worth the money. Yeah. I mean, that could be worth it, you know, for um, an event as short time-wise as the clash at the, the Coliseum, mm-hmm. um, you know, but for a 24 hour event, I mean, that's, that's a, I mean, that's a, a, a huge ROI to oh, me yeah. as a race fan. Yeah. And, and the one thing is if you missed it and you have Peacock, you can watch the entire replay. Yeah, see that too. That's that's incredible. Yeah. I mean, that is, I mean, that's what I've been doing with the Olympics now. And mm-hmm. I found out that it's the international I, I think it's the international broadcast because it's not like the luge, it wasn't Lee Diffie's voice, it was someone else. So mm-hmm. I, I think NBC has put other people there. I, I, mm-hmm. I think it's either international broadcasts or it's NBC has put other people there to record over those events to record them. Okay. Which could, which could be you, 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 you can have different people doing different things, but mm-hmm. you just don't know. And I just, you know, but yeah, it was, it, it definitely was, I mean, the Rolex, you know, you, you, it was the broadcast. It was, it was the actual broadcast. It's just, they didn't do commercials. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, but you can watch replays, you can see different things. So yeah, I think it'll be interesting this year. Good deal. Well, it sounds like the Rolex 24, then it was a, a great start to speed weeks. And from there it was, it was NASCAR's turn to carry on the, the momentum and carry on the, the start of the motorsports season into the, the month of February. And they did so in terrific style. And mm-hmm. we're going to talk more about that in our spotlight on the other side of this break. This is from Checker to Green.
the From Checker to Green podcast will be right back. Do you want a topic covered? Do you have an idea for the show? Or do you want to hear a guest on our program? Or do you want to give us some feedback? Well, the From Checker to Green podcast can be found on Facebook and Twitter. That's our social media pages. And we also have email, which is ckrd, the number two, grn at gmail.com. Your feedback drives our content and what we talk about on the show. And if you like what you hear on today's episode and you want to listen to previous episodes, we can be heard on podcast.com, Apple Podcasts, and coming soon, we will be on Google Play Music. We thank you for your listenership. And now, back to the From Checkered to Green podcast. Thank you, David. Our spotlight segment this episode centers on the much anticipated and much hyped NASCAR Bush Light Clash at the Coliseum at the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum and talking about what we thought about uh, the racing, the format, um, and the car. This is the first time we got to see the Gen 7 car, the next gen car, um, on track in a um uh, a sanctioned competitive event. And so, uh, David, let's get into it. Um, uh, a lot of attention being paid um, to, uh, a lot of attention being paid to, to this event. Um, you know, it had been, you know, uh, hyped, promoted um, very, very well um, for months beforehand. Um, and it seemed like, I mean, let, first let's, let's talk about the turnout. Um, it, it, people turned out, um, they had a really, really good, um, attendance there. It seemed like, what did you think? It, it was amazing. It was amazing. And what did they say about 65, 70% of these people, um, have not been to a NASCAR race before. We didn't, I mean, now, now you don't know if they're actual NASCAR fans and they just, you know, you know, you don't make the drive up to Sonoma or you, you know, you can't make the drive to auto club or, you know, or you've just had, you know, bet or you're, you're there visiting and you just don't get to a track, but yeah, that was amazing. The turnout. And what did what did I say in the bonus episode when when we recorded bonus when we recorded the our bonus episode talking about the NASCAR season and the Super Bowl was going to be in LA that following Sunday you needed to capitalize on people that were going to be there and everything and they did they yep. did and it yep. was amazing yeah and the night before too, and this is going to kind of segue into a, um, another part of this. They had a concert right next door, um, a huge one, huge outdoor concert. Uh, I think Corn, the band Corn, they played. Yeah. Somebody else played too. Um, and it might have been Deftones or somebody, some one of Corn's uh, peers. Um, they also played, and uh, a lot of people um, 
from from the race went over there the night before saw some nascar drivers posting about it um and and other people that were there to attend the race they went to to see the show too so i mean you talk about stuff to do they had no shortage of that, and especially the and, music department. And and they said it was actually I heard Pete Pistoni talk about this on the morning drive, the the one following morning. Um, they said that was definitely that night before a good idea for NASCAR to gauge how parking was going to be, mm-hmm. like leaving the event. But yeah, it was. It, it was all out thrilling. And I've, I've got some thoughts about the next gen car and what it looked like. And I'll mm-hmm. bring those up in a little bit, okay. but NASCAR needed to literally hit this out of the park. And they did. And knowing that they have a two year, two year options with this. Uh, it, they signed a three-year contract and they have two-year options to bring this back. So they, they can decide to bring it back or not. Um, definitely favors towards that. And then what they did in the reports, what Pac, what Bob Pachris tweeted out, uh, what, what they were going to do with the pavement and the dirt they put down, that was going to be used for local, from what I understood, it was going to be used for local projects around the area. Very cool. So what NASCAR paid, which I think was a million to convert this. They said significantly more than a million, but they didn't yeah. give a number. Yeah, mm-hmm. to convert this and to say, here, go use this for local projects. No mm-hmm. sweat off our back. Yeah, definitely makes it. And it's a quarter mile track Yep, with a full stock car. I mean, you run TQ midgets run on, on tracks like this. Mm-hmm. Micro sprints run on tracks like this. Yep. But yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> Yeah, um, and it was it was really really cool to see um, that level of turnout. Mm-hmm. Um, you talked about um, parking, and one of the the drawbacks of the weekend was um, I saw something on social media that um, at least one of the parking lots surrounding it was charging people a hundred dollars to park, um, and I think it may have been for the event, um, which you know is is astronomical even by big city standards. Yeah. I think. Well, I kind of, but probably, probably not as unusual as, as you're gonna, as it may sound, you you have to remember, this is where the, um, this is where USC plays. So you're gonna, you, you bring it, you, you bring a big game in and I think there's, you know, I, you know, they, they play games there. Um, you know, they do football games. So I'm going to take a bet that even at a USC game that I bet those local lots are charging up to that much. 
I mean, that's that that might be the case, but um, to me, having seen you know the heyday of NASCAR, having seen mm-hmm. um, you know the lean times of NASCAR, that you know, quite frankly, the sport is still trying to get out from. Yeah, this kind of thing was a, was a detraction. This kind of thing, I think. Um, you know, it wasn't solely responsible for it by any stretch of the mind, but it certainly didn't help. And so I hope there's something that, um, that's done about that going forward. Um, because I think if, if who knows, uh, you know, given how, how well things went this year, hopefully more people come back next year and hopefully, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they find the external parking circumstances a little bit more accommodating. But yeah. um, getting back to the turnout, one thing that that I noticed, and we saw this during the um, the, the concerts before, and then in the middle of the race, mm-hmm. a lot of young people there. Um, oh yeah, like um, uh, a lot of college students were there, and so you're you're you were getting a, a a huge representation from the younger generation, from uh, you know millennials, possibly Gen Zs, but definitely a younger demographic, um, which is terrific news for the sport, um, especially if we get a lot of those people coming back. My concern is going forward that people may have seen this as kind of a novelty event to go see, because mm-hmm. nothing like this has been done before, um, you know, at least wow. from a NASCAR standpoint in decades, but certainly nothing like this has been done before in Los Angeles. So, yeah. um, so you may have had a huge turnout on that basis. I hope I'm wrong. And I hope that, um, you know, the, the way this event went um, and some of the things that were learned coming out of it and that, you know, I truly believe there's going to be a better product returning to it next year um, will entice a lot of these people to come back. Um, yeah. uh, so that's, that's my thought there, but, you know, to see the, the Coliseum just about full, I mean, it, it, I don't think it was a sellout, but it was, it was, up there i mean it was, the majority of the seats were full for sure yeah and for a sport that has been desperately wanting uh to get back to you know the 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 time as it was in the early and mid 2000s the 90s where you know a ticket to any nascar race was the hardest ticket to get in sports this is a this was a huge step forward for them so um, um, that in and of itself, you know, all of the attention that was being paid uh, to it from the promotional standpoint and everything, it seemed like it all did what it was supposed to do. And that was get people's butts in the stands to, uh, to partake in this event. Yeah, it, it definitely was. And, and it was something that, I mean, they, they pulled off, they, um, I mean, they, they said, I mean, looking at what Justin Banner said, uh, Motor Trend, you know, they, they said it may, you know, it, it, the one thing says fans new to the sport made up 70% of the ticket sales. Yeah, that's and huge. That is. And he goes, they said, you know, in, you know, in 1945, midgets used to race there under um uar which i mean back in the 40s i mean midget racing was what it was sprint uh, 
the sprint cars. And they would run it at uh, would, football stadiums and things of that nature. They, I think they I ran in Buffalo, the, the, mm-hmm. the, the Civic Stadium in Buffalo. Um, there's a whole book on it. And there, I mean, they ran there. They used to run at horse tracks. I mean, mm-hmm. my grandfather has slides from the 50s of, the, of sprint cars racing actually the 40s and that uh, racing at a horse track so i mean i mean it, it really went back to what racing was and um you know this is how it was in the old days full stock when when stock cars came about they would run on these tracks mm-hmm. and they put on a heck of a show yeah. And so you want you want to feel nostalgia for these people who are like like me and I mean I I will say I mean Dale Jr is is one of a, a one of these people there you know there's a group of people out there who are who, who love the vintage races the the, the history because that's what made sport the the sport and just seeing that definitely brought back vibes um and it was amazing but let's talk about the the actual race Elliot and I've got some thoughts of what that looked like to me okay uh one more thing before we get into the um the race is um well a couple of things number one Mm -hmm. um you know we talked about um, you know, the, the, the new fan attention, um, and, you know, the, the, the fan excitement of this event. I, um, uh, came across an article on the sports business journal. It was written by Terry Lefton talking about, um, how merchandise sales did, um, mm-hmm. during this event. And, uh, they quote the managing director of licensing and consumer products for NASCAR, a gentleman named Paul Sparrow who stated that sales on Sunday, and I'm just going to quote the articles, uh, sales on Sunday were three times those of the last full capacity clash race, which was held Whoa. in Daytona in 2020. And that was won by uh, Eric Jones with help from Denny Hamlin. Um, so that's a huge marker for them. And we saw that on social media too. Um, yeah. the, the lines that were... Um, at all of the different team merchandise haulers too. Um, they said that um, uh, th- for them, their top sellers were a commemorative black clash t-shirt and cap. Um, so people were getting merchandise pertaining specifically to the, to the event. And they were also getting merchandise for the driver or team that they were were interested in so that's a huge thing that that is huge what about now what about i mean and and that that's huge because the drivers get profit off some of that the teams get profit nascar gets some profit off of that so that is huge that Mm -hmm. is that is what you need to i mean the, the, all the concerns about the next gen car, the, the, the supply chain issues and everything, 
you yeah, needed a, a, a vent like this to to put some money there that's gonna help you out but the one other thing before we talk about the race um what about the tv ratings that you know racer.com andrew class said it pulled in for east coast viewers to got a nielsen rating of 2.32 with 4.283 million household viewers on fox and they said that beat last year's championship race in phoenix dave moody said on serious speed uh serious xm speedway um said if you had that viewer if you had that race last year it would have been the fourth most watched race last year. Yeah. And that's where it falls. That is huge. It is. And Daytona, and, and it's almost on par to what you get for the Daytona 500. Yeah. And that's going up against the Olympics and the Pro Bowl. Well, you can scratch the Pro Bowl because not many people watch it, but the but the Olympics, which is a big event, and yep. then the preliminary rounds got one point five seven with two point five six four viewers. So, and last year they only had one point six and a point nine three. You just blew. And you even blew NBC out with the Supercross. So, I mean, man, you yep. just, a jackpot. You, you, you could have played this in, I mean, they're, they're talking about sports bang, everything going on. Damn, I need, I need the app that bets the um, over under on viewership. I'll, I'll, I'll hit it big every time. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're taking the over under on 2021 ratings. Um, cause yeah, I mean, this was a huge one. Um, I'm looking on uh, racingnews.co, an article by uh, Shane Walters. Um, and he notes that, um, the ratings for, for this year's clash was up 168% over Ooh. last year's event. So, I mean, yeah, you talk across the board, just in terms of the fan turnout, um, merchandise sales, and then people tuning in to watch the race. Um, you know, it was, it was, it, it was everything. I think that, um, that NASCAR, the teams, um, everybody involved in this was hoping for, and then some, I want to make one more point before we get to the race. And that is, um, you know, we've talked about on, on previous episodes about, uh, the difficulty in trying to sustain, you know, well-attended, you know, especially well-attended events in the LA basin. Um, mm -hmm. There's been, you know, we've, we've talked about the comings and goings of Ontario, Riverside, um, you know, uh, Auto Club having difficulty in, in bringing people in, right? Um, this, you know, they're, and they're talking about trying to get some of the people that came to this event out to Fontana. Well, thing is, Fontana is a fair distance away. And it's also important to note that the, the highways getting out there, 
are you know not the easiest either. I've heard that um, you know the the interstates leading out of Los Angeles into the Inland Empire where Fontana is, um, you know they're they're pretty notorious on their on their traffic. So um, a fair number of those people, you know, while they're interested in the sport, maybe reticent to to drive out east out to Fontana. We'll see. I mean, it'll be interesting to see if there's a I, um, a noticeable effect on attendance at Auto Club Speedway in Fontana this year. They go back uh, as part of their West Coast Spring uh, Swing this year. Uh, they did not go out there in 2021. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they do versus what they did in 2020. I I think they would have a better chance of going out to Vegas. And and getting out there and and that's where you're gonna want you're gonna want the draw. I, I know they're talking about Fontana, but Fontana's gonna go through a conversion next year. It's gonna be a half, you know, it's gonna be what a a uh essentially paperclip like mm-hmm. uh short track. So you know, and and Sonoma's further away. Um right. But I think your best shot is you get you you need to get I, I, I know they want to say hey it's California we got a track in California get them to Vegas you know that Vegas is gonna be good you know there's people who live in the area who drive to Las Vegas to go see things you know to go maybe show or go for a weekend mm-hmm. you can say hey we got a track out here come out to vegas you're gonna you're gonna see some fun racing out there and guess mm-hmm. what we come out twice a year yep to there so come out come see a show i i think i think what you need to watch is watch vegas yep. because there's people who are gonna say hey, i am i'm not going there but hey you go to las vegas oh sure I'll yep. go there. I, you know, heck, I'm a member of the Bellagio. I'll go stay. I'll go cash in my points, yep. you know, or whatever. You know, there's where you're going to make it. And who says next year? I mean, if you picked up some draw from the NFL out there, being out there next year, they're in Las Vegas. Who says true. you don't? Who says you don't say, hey, maybe we'll throw the clash at Vegas. Do this format again where all these, everyone can qualify. We'll do heats. We'll do this. You know, you know, I, I like that format they did, but let's, let's get into the racing action. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it was, um, it started off, I think a, a little bit, a little bit on the tamer side, people were kind of minding their P's and Q's, getting the um, getting the track figured out, um, getting the cars figured out in a an environment where you had you know everybody starting side by side and two wide, even three wide racing from time to time, which was you know pretty exceptional for um, a track of of this small a size. Um, so you really didn't see that much in the way of carnage in the first. Um, uh, heat race um and uh, uh actually i don't know if there was really that much there, in, in, there, in any of them there, but once yeah. you got to the second last chance race that's where things started to it seemed like things started to pick up a little bit 
Yeah, shades of um of the last dual race at Daytona when you know you're on the line to to qualify. Yeah. So, um, so that kind of led into the um the the main event itself. And there were 23 cars for the uh, that qualified for the main event, which it seemed like that was probably right about the 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 perfect number, the the optimal number for for this event. Um, so there was just enough traffic to make it interesting, but not so much um, to completely choke the event um, and you know make make that the the main story. It was just enough there for, um, you know, the leaders to, you know, if, if you had one or two cars, as we saw towards the end, um, to break away and maybe make the race amongst themselves. So, yeah. um, so that seemed like that worked out pretty well. Yeah. And I mean, and, and I mean, Logano won it. I mean, Jolie yep. Logano wins it in a thrilling finish on a restart over Kyle Busch, who literally came out of nowhere after practice Friday or practice Saturday afternoon, morning, afternoon, and steals the pole still runs away in the heat race starts on the pole, um, kind of faded back a little, but was there in the end. And yeah, it was amazing. It was an amazing race. And I've, I've got to say um, what it looked like to me. Now, I, I, the last episode, I, we were talking about the numbers and I'll be honest, it's been a little tough getting used to looking at the next gen car when they were testing, watching it, kind of getting the feel to see, ah, you know, this doesn't look like it. But when you saw them race on the Coliseum, what they looked like to me, and I'm, I messaged you this, Elliot. I said, beyond, to be honest, they look like a local track, late model, um, main event cars. Like, it reminded me of that, yeah. the way they looked. And, you know, I, and that's kudos for the next gen car. They, yeah. You know, they, they look kudos like, for them and the people that designed the, the paint schemes too. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And it was, I mean, they looked good. There was mm-hmm. some beam banging. I mean, no cut tires. Um, yeah, the, that the, was a, but a really big thing. But that's how they designed it. I mean, Hamlin proved that practice when he kissed the wall Mm -hmm. and never cut the tire. That's what they designed it, but no cut tires. Nope. Even, you know, people that, that hit the wall, you know, with, with some force, Ryan Blaney being a great example of that. Yeah. Um, You know, and he had to go into the infield for a couple laps, but um, I don't think it was for, um, for a cut tire. No. It was just, you know, kind of, you know, fix a little damage here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Haley, I mean, you, you saw what happened in Justin Haley, yep. um, Eric Almarola when they hit the, um, 
when they hit the you know hit the wall the, the yeah, damage. each in their own separate incidents yeah um, but most of them it seemed like but it was it was one car incidents during the same too you didn't have a huge pile um, or or yeah you, you didn't have that or if you had multiple cars involved it's because someone hit behind and it was just a chain reaction mm-hmm. but even when they hit the wall hard and damaged I mean, in the old car, you know, a hard hit like that, it would have been destroyed. Looking right. at that, it's like, man, you could easily, you you could easily fix that. Yeah. You know, then the question might be coming down the road is maybe when they have enough more parts, does the damage clock go away? Uh, I don't know. I think you're going to see the damage clock still there, but it's going to make the fixability How? of those cars during or under the damage clock, I think, a lot more manageable. Why, well, why not? It, well, you know, it, I mean, well, Daytona will be the test about the sure. damage clock. Sure. And maybe, huh. you know, maybe they say, you know, maybe instead of a time, maybe they change it to say, Hey, you've got, um, you know, you've got so many laps to fix this. And Mm. when you're so many laps down based on each track, so let's say Daytona, you've got 25 laps to fix this. If -hmm. you can get fixed in 25 laps and get it back on pit road in that time, you're back in, um, you know, or, you know, Bristol, maybe it's like 75 laps because of how quick the laps go, you know, but mm-hmm. we'll, we'll see. But the only concern I have with it is the, the transaxle. And we yeah. found we found that to be new, a uh, couple cars, Tyle Reddick and in uh, Chase Pre- Briscoe, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, both of them had some issues, and then, um, and it all seemed to happen about the same point in the race too. Those two, and they were both very competitive. Yeah. Um, and uh, Denny Hamlin also dropped out um, with yeah. an, um, a mechanical issue of his own, um, not a transaxle issue. His was a um, the the power steering belt coming off. Yeah. Um, and. He noted in the interview, I thought his interview was was pretty interesting because he he stated that um, he thought there was um, going to be that specific issue that um, ended his race was probably not going to be the only time we were going to see that this year. Um, and that possibly something with the car design or something along those lines, you know, p- potentially may lend to that happening again. So that plus the transaxle issue, you know, those are things to need to be looked into and, and obviously worked on some more. One other thing too, that was noticed during the course of the race weekend, and it wasn't like it was a, a particularly hot weekend out there, like what they're expecting for the Super Bowl. I mean, they're expecting temperatures in the nineties, almost hundred mm-hmm. out there. So in that way, NASCAR got exceptionally lucky. I mean, the weather was absolutely perfect for this yeah. race. Sunny skies. I think the temperatures were in the 70s. It was beautiful. It was perfect. Couldn't have asked for better weather. But even then, uh, I think it was the Chevys. Uh, they had to take 
like some vent covers or something that were like over the tires, just take them off entirely. Um, so, and that was, I think, a decision they made like during the race weekend itself. Um, and if I'm wrong, you know, and, and any of the listeners, and if I'm, if I'm mistaken there, please correct me. But all those things put together, you know, yes, we saw a stout race car that could take a lot of punishment. And, you know, that was, that was something that we noted on previous episodes that we were going to be paying attention to as part of what this next gen car was going to look like under racing conditions. This event was going to tell us, um, you know, how um, hardy this thing could be. And it definitely showed it, at least from a, a physical standpoint. Um, mechanically, they've still got some more work to do. And it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, if these issues uh, crop up again in, in uh, the 500 or at any point during the um, uh, preceding events to it. Um, I think they noted during the course of the, um, the broadcast that because of the slow speeds they were running, um, that that may have had a, a part to play in it too, because there's less, there was less cool air getting to, uh, to those parts. So we'll see, but, um, you know, David, I'll be curious to hear what you think, but, um, uh, there, there's definitely some mechanical things to, uh, to work on here that, uh, came out of this event. Well, most certainly, especially with Reddick. Um, the, the thing that Reddick, you know, mentioning the whole, um, the whole thing about the transaxle, and, and he made a key point. He says, um, we may have to see, we may have to be more careful on the pit stops now. So I think you're going to see when they go to Daytona and they practice, you're going to see, you're probably going to see them coming into the pits, practicing a pit stop, um, and going back out and seeing what it's like, um, especially with that and, and see anything. But yeah, um, I, you know, it, it may have been with the, you know, not getting the cool air that some of these parts were breaking, but yeah, we, we got to see what what gremlins come out of this, especially going into Daytona. Um, and I'm not talking about just, the, you know, not like the duels or that, because they're a um, 60, what, what, 60 lap races. I'm talking about the 500 and the full 200 laps at where you've got stage racing, you're making pit stops. You're not just making one, you're making two to three, um, you know, the, the one lug nut, you know, you know, who's going to have the, you know, I, I think NASCAR really solved that, uh, the whole loose lug nut issue by um, you can't get the tire off unless you disengage, unless you engage that locking mechanism, to get it off. So I think that's going to be interesting to see. Um, um, I don't know if that's a, um, I kind of got to see how, um, how it's set up on indie cars with the one lug nut, but I, you know, if that's similar or not, but I think it's going to be very interesting to see, you know, that coming out. And, and I think Daytona is going to be a good test for these cars. 
no matter what. Yeah, for sure. Um, now, you know, obviously a concern there will be, um, you know, supply chain issues and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, first uh, episode of the Door Bumper Clear podcast um, uh, for 2022 dropped um, here in recent days. And they were talking about, um, you know, and they touched on some of the um, supply chain concerns, um, you know, not the least of which being a tweet from Rodney Childers, the crew chief for Kevin Harvick, number 14, Stuart Haas Racing, that they didn't have the parts at that point in time for put a second car together. So they mm-hmm. it sounded like they just had one car and that was it. Um, and so that makes me think about some of these teams like, um, you know, the, um, the fellow Stuart Oscar, the 10 car for Eric Almarola that, um, you know, they busted their car up uh, at the, at the clash. Uh, Justin Haley in the 31, um, you know, basically tore the whole left front of, of, uh, of that car off. Um, and, uh, you know, Ryan Blaney to his car, uh, the right side of his car got beat up pretty bad. So, you know, there's, there's some, some people that came out of there with, um, you know, some, some damaged race cars. Um, and, uh, you know, it makes you wonder how much, uh, how much redundancy those teams have to be able to handle getting a car, uh, you know, uh, uh, to be able to get a, a new car down to Daytona. And then after yeah. that, out to the West Coast. Um, there was a, a lot of concern. It sounded like to me, um, being expressed on on uh, that podcast about, especially about the the West Coast swing after everything that happens at Daytona, and, and you know, you and I both know what can happen at Daytona. Literally mm-hmm. anything and everything. Um, you know, and and uh, Ben Sheet Metal is, you know, a, a pretty fair certainty as well. Yeah, and, and I think that's going to be I, I think that's going to be interesting to see what what happens out of that, what comes out of that. Um, it may it, it it's you know it is very concerning. This might actually lead to you know if it gets bad, it might lead to some changes down the road. Maybe when they do a West Coast string swing, they say okay, teams, uh, instead of having to take it back to your shop, um, you're just going to go the, you load up, go to the next track, bring everything with you. You can work on it. We uh, will open up the garages at the next track, unload your car. You guys can do your work in there, kind of like, you know, how it was in Indy. You know, when the Indy 500 ran and it was a month of May, you parked your car the first day of May in the garage when it opened up, and that's where you worked on it. You may have stayed somewhere else, and but you know you could have some, you know, maybe something like that. But what I think would definitely happen, especially if it becomes a supplier chain issue, I'm gonna I can see the feedback. Uh, you know, if the driver and the teams complain enough about these vendor supply parts. Their NASCAR may need to open up and say, hey, um, guess what? 
we're going to allow other vendors to jump in the game who can make certain parts as well. So you can, you know, you know, it may be the same exact part, you know, let's, let's take an example, um, racing belts. There's Simpson racing belts and there's impact racing belts. They're both five, you know, five point harness racing belts or seven point harness. Um, I can't think if NASCAR off the top of my head is five or seven. Um, but you can get it from one or you could go get it from another. It's an approved vendor. So maybe NASCAR opens up some more improved vendors and say, oh, you need an axle. Well, you can get from this or you can get from this. It'll be the same axle, but you have your options. So I think that might be more of a route they're going to have to look at. Yeah, I mean, that's a possibility. Um, but I think by the time they go down that road mm -hmm. um, and then any additional vendors that get approved to build parts um, have the opportunity to, to spin up their manufacturing infrastructure. Yeah. Um, I think any part shortage concerns will probably have um, abated by then. This is entirely, I think, just because of the newness of this car and the um, you know, relative lack of time mm -hmm. that these vendors have had to be able to produce parts and get them to teams. And you're still dealing with a, a pandemic that's still affecting the supply. Yep. Um, and, and these these manufacturers getting the, the materials they need to make the parts. I mean, it is really, really tough right now. And if you, um, you know, and I, I'm not going to be political on it, but it does have an effect. And it, you know, it's, it's how economics works. And at, at this point, it is tough. It, you know, it, you know, economics is literally a, you know, if you look at economics and you think about it, you go through cycles. You look at Malday and yeah, you see trends straight changing. Mm -hmm. um, I will be honest, um, off topic, I have seen, I knew the housing market was going to change the way it was probably about uh, what, 2018, I was done with my MBA. So yeah, about 27, about 2018. And I said to somebody, I said, it's changing. It's going to be a seller's market and it's probably, you know, and it's probably going to sit as a seller's market for a while because that's the way the models were showing. And yeah, it, it is, it's, um, yeah, it's, yeah, it, it'll be interesting for sure. Yep. Um, but Again, going back to the Bushlight Clash of the Coliseum, definitely learn a lot of things about um, 
about the cars out there, good and bad. And the racing itself was um, was really solid. We saw a little bit of everything. And it was also refreshing, too, to see all of the different um, teams, you know, kind of having their, their time um, running competitively, um, you know, especially some of the the teams that, um, you know, have kind of been back markers at times, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, thinking about somebody like a Ryan Priest um, and the, uh, the, the Rickware team that, uh, that he was running with um, under the auspices of Stuart Haas Racing, who he signed a, uh, um, a deal with to be their reserve simulation driver, and then also doing some, uh, some part-time uh, racing across, I think, all three series this year. Yeah. Um, you know, he had a, a really fast car and, and uh, drove really well in uh, the qualifying events, got himself into the main and uh, was was pretty competitive there, too. Um, but uh, I think he had some sort of uh, mechanical issue do him in as well. Um, but you saw some of these um, uh, these smaller teams you know, have, have, uh, you know, pretty competitive showings and that, you know, makes me pretty excited about what we may see at Daytona, but that's, um, for the next segment, I do want to finish out this, um, this segment on with one other thought about this weekend, and Mm -hmm. that is the entertainment. Um, and you had Pitbull, um, performing pre-race, um, and then Ice Cube, during the middle of the race. And I think the way they handled the, the concerts um, or these, these two uh, concerts before and during the race were done really, really well. Um, and both gentlemen performed really, really well. Um, and I mean, I've, I've watched a fair number of um, award shows um, especially in recent years uh, with my wife who has a, um, a particular interest in them. And I'll be honest, there's, there's a lot of hard, uh, there's a lot of subpar performances that you see on some of these, uh, these award shows, which I find a little bit ironic, but that's for another day. Um, but these did really well and they didn't feel, um, out of place. They didn't feel forced to me. Um, I'll give a great example of one that did. It was uh, Sammy Hagar before, I think it was the all-star race when the, before they went green at Texas. Um, I just thought that one was so badly placed because they're warming up They're You're getting ready to go green. And then, Oh, by the way, here's a a concert now. It's like, Oh, Bruce Smith was, Oh, I, go I don't know bit. if that was Bruton Take, Smith or Gossage or Marcus, I, one of them. or maybe it was Gossage, but yeah. Bruins, I, I, I'm sorry, Gossage, whoever did that. No, no, no. If you're going to do something, let Bruin Smith plan it out. Um, heck, you know, let's see Marty Smith get blown over by something again. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I I didn't see the concerts, but I did hear the feedback of it, and yeah, it, it sounded like they were good. Um, yeah. um, yeah, it was. I mean, 
better than some of the performances I've seen on SNL. I mean, mm-hmm. my wife and I watch Saturday Night Live. And yeah. God, I, I just like, I'm like, so skip it. I just want weekend update. Come on, come on. <laughs> I, 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 you know, just, just get rid of this. Let's extend weekend update by like, you know, 20 minutes here. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, it was, I mean, yeah, it was, uh, it, it was good and thrilling. And I will say, uh, uh, Fox, um, one other thing, um, yeah, bring back Tony. Keep, just, just keep bringing him back, please. Yeah. I, I think, I, I think you finally found your niche here. Yeah, um, three of them, him, Clint uh, Boyer, and Mike Joy, I, they, they worked really, really well together. Oh, and, and, and they found it. They they yeah. found it for sure. So, mm-hmm. and that's yeah. just their first time. It, so it who will, knows? Daytona. I we'll we'll see how Daytona goes. But I I think you've got you've you you literally have um you have Mike Joy who knows how to be a a main broadcaster with all his experience. Yeah. Boyer brings his side of racing and then you've got tony stewart who's a promoter who's a team owner who's a track owner who's a you know who has to speak his piece who has his yeah and he knows what he's doing on there and i i was nervous at first but I, I mean, when they announced it during one of the playoff games, Alyssa looked at the look on my face and Alyssa looked at me and she goes, she's like, wow, what was that look for? And I said, I just had no words. I'm like, really, Tony? But then, yeah, it, it turned out well. So. Hey, kudos to him, but yeah, yeah. We, we'll definitely have our, our Tony takes this year. <laughs> yep, here's hoping. Um, so for now, um, we need to, uh, to take a quick break. And then uh, on the other side of it, we're going to go green. We're going to talk about Daytona Speed Weeks and the, the Daytona 500. And then uh, we're going to wrap it up with some final thoughts about uh, something unique uh, about the, uh, the the winning car for the Daytona 500. All that on the other side of this break. This is From Checker to Green. The From Checker to Green podcast will be right back. Fans, are you looking for that competitive edge for your business, organization, or event? Then choose Samurai Graphics. Samurai Graphics will design your logo, business card, letterhead, invitation, create a flyer, or even do a social media post for whatever you need. Samurai Graphics accepts different forms of payments, and they give you that edge that you need to be out front. Contact Samurai Graphics at SamuraiGraphics716 at gmail.com or find them on Facebook, Samurai Graphics. 
your business solution. And now, back to From Checker to Green. Thank you, David. It's time to go green and time to talk about Daytona Speed Weeks and the Daytona 500. Um, as we talked about in the spotlight segment, there was a, um, a lot that we learned uh, during the Bushlight Clash at the Coliseum, but we're going to learn, I think, even more about the about these cars, the Gen 7 cars, and how the, the drivers are going to race them uh, during the course of Speed Weeks, especially in light of all of the uh, issues that we talked about uh, in the spotlight about um, supply chains and um, you know the the relative few number of of uh, race ready cars uh, that these teams have uh, on hand at their shops or even in the the backup bays on their uh, their haulers. So it's going to be really interesting to see. But um, what do you think? What do you think we're going to see out of uh, out of the um, the 500 and all of the associated events uh, this year? Well, I think qualifying is going to be very interesting. I mean, looking at, um, looking at J-Ski for, for speed weeks, you're going to have a practice uh, Tuesday. Uh, that's on FS1 from five to five fifty-five. practice two ends up being at six thirty-five to seven twenty-five. Then on Wednesday, you got the qualifying at 8.05. I love the night qualifying. I think that's pretty cool for them to go under the lights and qualify. And then you have the duels the night after, Thursday, February 17th. And then you've got a third practice um, on the 18th on the Friday. Then you've got the truck race. You've got fourth practice on Saturday then the Xfinity race in ARCA, and then you got the 500 on Sunday. I think it's going to be very, um, I, I, I'm looking forward to watching the practice. Remember, these guys haven't had practice in probably a couple years. Mm-hmm. Um, now they're going to actual qualifying and practice back to normal. Um, the testing at Daytona with the cars were really good. Um, so I think it's going to be very interesting going into speed weeks, um, to keep an eye on those practice sessions, Mm -hmm. um, because we're going to get a good, we're probably going to get a good gauge, especially going into practice number two what qualifying speeds might be at with the next gen car and mm-hmm. what the poll may be um, when, when they do single car qualifying at Daytona um, on Wednesday night or on, yeah, on Wednesday night. Um, because then you'll, um, you know, th- these cars are probably going to try a little drafting with each other kind of get some a feel for what the duels might be like but yeah the the qualifying that's coming out of it um it is going to be very interesting and Mm -hmm. i think it will be um i i think seeing the cars run on this stage is going to, is going to tell us a lot 
going into it. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, and you talk about qualifying. So according to JSKI, there's 42 entries um, for this year's Daytona 500. There's 40 spots. So we're going to have two cars and, uh, missing the field this year. And six of them are non-charter. Right. Which means probably... Um, so out of that, 36 cars are getting in. Six of them are non-charter. Yep. Um, now there is talk. We may be down to 41 because New York Racing is working on a deal with Greg Biffle, but nothing's been announced yet. Okay, so I'll need to double yeah, check on that. But pot, I, I thought Pacaris mentioned something about it today in a tweet. Okay. And I think that's going to be very interesting to see what, what happens with, if Biffle comes back, that would be cool to see him come back and, and try Daytona. Um, yeah, we're definitely getting a mix of the old and the new this yeah. year. Um, Cause he got uh, Jacques Villeneuve, um, yeah, that Jacques Villeneuve, the Formula yeah. One champion. The Indy uh, 500 champion. Yep. Um, he's, he's making a, um, an attempted comeback in, uh, in the world of stock cars after, um, you know, what could generously be described as um, a difficult first outing in, uh, in the world of NASCAR back in uh, – uh, right at the advent of the uh, Gen 5 car, the car of tomorrow, as it was called at the time in 2007, 2008, I think it was 2008. Um, and uh, so he kind of went away after that, but he's, he's making a comeback this year uh, for Team Hesseberg, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, you've got Biffle with New York Racing, um, Carl Long, uh, his, his team, Motorsport Business Management, uh, they've yeah. got two cars, JJ Yaley and, and Timmy Hill. You've got Floyd Mayweather. Um, that's a brand new team yeah. that's been talked about for some time. Floyd um, Money Mayweather. Yep. Um, well, yep. They've been, this has been something that's kind of been uh, uh, out in the, the ether of, uh, you know, uh, racing social media in uh, over the last, I think, year or two. I think we've, we've kind of heard about this, but um, th- this team has, has put something together. They've put a car together. They're going to have Kaz Grala, um, yeah. driving it. Um, it. I think they've got some, some pretty decent talent on that team. So that's going to be interesting to see. Um, and then you've got uh, Noah Gregson rounding out the, the six uh, uh, non, non-chartered cars or the open cars yeah. uh, for Beard Motorsports. And this is a team that uh, Brendan gone, uh, raced with in recent years and did very well with, um, including, uh, uh, a backflip and pirouette at Talladega while leading. Um, and as Brendan gone said at the time, I stuck the landing and that seemed to be, you know, other than being okay and in good shape, all that mattered to him. So, um, yeah. so they're making a comeback too. And, you know, Gregson has proven he can, he can get it done. Um, so it's, it's going to be, a, a, it's going to be really exciting to, to watch, um, qualifying this year. I can't really say, um, you know, looking at these, these open entries, I, I, 
don't see this this driver happening. I don't see this car happening or whatever. Um, it's going to be really interesting to watch. Oh yeah, most certainly. And I think it's going to be, it, it, it definitely is going to be really interesting to watch because um, I think, you know, it's a new car. It's a, you know, it's the same track, but it's a new car. And what happened when um, NASCAR would make these changes to to some of the the cars, the Gen Six? It made Daytona very interesting. That there was no clear cut favorite, and I think it's going to be that this year. There's going to be no clear cut favorite going into Daytona. Um, it's going to be, you know. It, 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 that's where I think practice is going to be. I, I think that's where you're going to have to see where practice is, especially going into the final practice um, yeah. for the cars. They are going to run Daytona who get that final or, or even after practice three and four, they're making the final preps. They're testing. Now they're making changes. Remember, at the LA Coliseum, they went with one setup and that was it. And they had to stick to it because there's no changing it. Um, Daytona, you're going to be playing with the setup. You're going to be figuring out, oh, I'm going to try this. Well, maybe we got to try this. Oh, the temperature. Let, let's try a little difference of air pressure. Maybe let's put a little more tape on. Let's see, you know, let, let's put a little more tape on and see how the cooling goes now that the hood actually has vents to cool the engine. So, yes. I mean, you know, what's going to happen when someone kicks up dirt and grass and gets that on their car? Are they e or, or gets a piece of debris? Are they going to easily overheat like they used to in the past? And they had would have to draft to clear that off. I, I mean, there's so many questions going into it. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then, uh, you know, there's, then there's the 500 itself. Yeah. Uh, and this is going to be an interesting one. Um, and uh, all of my, th my thoughts on who's, who I'm going to, pick for the 500 and then you can David and then we'll jump into the um our final thoughts but mm -hmm. um they uh DBC was talking about how this is going to be a different 500 um in uh and I question whether or not there's going to be uh we're going to see that aggression that uh um we've seen in years past um you know if, especially if you have teams that might say hey let's Let's take it easy this time because we need this car for the next two or three races after this. Um, mm -hmm. So that'll be interesting to me to see if that comes to pass. Um, I think if you do, I think you're going to see drivers that are historically more aggressive um, at super speedways like a Ricky Stenhouse Jr. I think you're going to see them actually do well because they may be willing to take risks so that um, other teams may not be willing to. So um, on that basis, I think that 
um, that's that's going to be my pick is going to be Stenhouse um, or Kyle Busch. Um, but I'm, I'm going to stick with Stenhouse, I think. Um, and then if um, if I'm looking at a dark horse um, for this year, if they make the race, then I'm thinking, and again, this goes back to the newness of this race car, everybody's starting off on the, the same foot um, and, you know, how much parity I think there's going to be um, across all the teams to start the year, um, especially at Daytona where the draft plays such an important role. Um, if I'm looking for a dark horse, I'm looking at Timmy Hill in uh, the 66 car. He's proven himself in recent years to be a really smart racer, um, staying out of trouble and being there at the end and having really, really good finishes, um, especially at these, uh, at these restricted plate tracks. I go back to Talladega last October where he took his truck that he owns that has like maybe two or three people working on it. And I think, you know, at least a couple of them might be himself and family. And they, they, he outlasted all the wrecks and was up there fighting for the win at the end. I think he think they finished second in that race. So um, I think that's somebody that could very well do something um, at Daytona. If again, if he makes the show and uh, you know, if everything else goes, goes just so, um, he might be there at the end. It'll certainly be interesting to see. I I, I think it's going to be very interesting to to see um, with it, and and I definitely agree with you. I mean, it's a new car. The talk about aggression. Um, you know, it, are they going to be aggressive, knowing that you know the the car's going to have to be prepared if they get into a big one and get it set. I'm going to be honest on this. I think for the 500, for the first segment and maybe the half a segment, you're going to see less aggression out there. I think they're going to want to get strung out. They're going to want to get a feel with drafting. Um, And I think probably after you know probably near the end of the second segment and definitely into the third segment you're gonna probably see them pick it up a little bit um and i think it i think they're gonna try i think they're gonna try to test and give a thrilling race and say hey you saw a thrilling race at coliseum watch this with these next gen cars at daytona and we're gonna try to you know try and make two three across the line for the checkered here (laughs) you know they're gonna i think it's gonna be thrilling um if i have to go with a um with a a favorite for it um i'm gonna I'm, i'm gonna put my money on hamlin he knows how to win at daytona he's always what doing well there i could see like a hamlin or um, I, I, I don't think Kyle Bush, I, I think Daytona somehow every year bites them in the butt. It's like, and it, it's, it, it was like with, you know, he's becoming what Dale Earnhardt was at Daytona 
find every which way to lose it. Um, and and that you know, that, that, I I feel I'm sorry, Kyle Bush fans, but it, it it's just history repeating itself. Ask Mario Andretti and the Indy 500, mm-hmm. um, or or Michael or or Marco, and you know, ask any Andre who's ran at Indy that um, the way it felt. Um, but I could see that. I could see a Logano. I could see a Keselowski doing it, um, it or, or Dylan. But I think my my dark. You know, I you know, if I have to pick two clear favorites, Hamlin, and I go with with Dylan. I I think two previous winners. They've been there for testing. They know what it's going to be like. My dark horses. Kyle or or sorry Tyler Reddick, I think Reddick proves something at the Coliseum mm-hmm. this weekend, and I think the lesson he learned with the transaxle, he's taking that to Daytona, and I think he's going to use a lot of what he's learning to his advantage, and I could see him winning it. Um. I can see Reddick going to victory lane. The other one I would I would put out there is William Byron. I think William Byron is due for a Daytona 500. And I think the performance he put last year out there, I think winning Daytona would be huge and it would back up that contract he just signed. So, For sure, and it would solidify Hendrick as uh, oh, the, the team to beat once again. Yeah. yeah, I mean they've proven it, you know, by winning the the last two championships. But um, with this new car, you know, new, you know, so many things new. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to say, yeah, we'll take all that, and then we'll still beat everybody. That that would be huge. Yeah. So. Most certainly. Oh, so, very cool. Yeah. So let's talk about now. So we've talked about, um, you know, who our thoughts may be on who wins the 500, but um, let's um, transition into our final thoughts now. And that is um, some information that came about on what NASCAR is going to do with um, the winning car from the Daytona 500 this year. And it uh, sounds pretty unique and sounds pretty interesting. So David, tell us a little more about it. Yeah, on jski.com, they they finally made a decision. They weren't sure if they were going to have the, um, if the winning car from the Daytona 500 was going to go into the Hall of Fame, the the Daytona Hall of Fame, which has been a tradition, um, I think since it opened in 96 or 97. Um. It's been a tradition, the winner of the Daytona 500, they lose that car for the entire year. And it goes into the Daytona Speed, International Speedway Museum. There was talk with the supply chain issues and concern. Well, they decided uh, uh, earlier this week that the winning car, and this is on J-Ski, 
The winning car will remain at the Speedway overnight, be presented for a celebratory breakfast. Then the following morning, the team can take it back, get prepped for the other for the next race. But in the meantime, before they do that, NASCAR is going to scan the winning car and create an identical wrap of the paint scheme, confetti and all, that is going to be placed on the body of the next-gen prototype that was used in testing. And then that will be put on display. Um, I will have it. Um, and the... Um, and but then in 2023, they're gonna revert back to, and this was Bob Pockers reporting about it, is that they're going to revert back to the their normal tradition next year. So I think it's really cool that they're doing this. Um, you know, the way technology is. Who would think you could get you could get a scan on a wrap of what the car looked like and put it on another car and say, hey, we're going to display it this way. I think it opens up for technology. I think it opens up the way um, teams can display their race cars especially with this new next gen car that um used to build show cars um i could see this being very profitable for nascar to say hey you have a toyota now that the next gen cars look like the actual car you could you'd say hey, um, we could sell car wraps of your favorite race car driver and your street car can look like the race car. Now, um, I think it's really cool. It's, I think it, it's something that technology never did. I mean, it stinks that the actual car won't be there, but hey, you can take a, you can scan it and make a wrap that's awesome. It's just amazing. I think it might open the door for something down the road. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, you know, first in terms of giving the race team that wins the 500 their car back to be able to, to use it for proceeding races, that's huge um, I, I for all the reasons that we've talked about to this point. But, um, at the same time, this kind of is a, a really good compromise of having something um, in the Daytona 500 Museum for attendees to see, um, while at the same time leveraging, you know, and, and not being a, a huge inconvenience to the, the race team that wins. While at the same time, as you pointed out, David, leveraging this, this technology that has evolved now to the point where it can scan these these race cars and and you know all the way down to the detail of the confetti and everything mm -hmm. um and you know be able to put it on something that you know they can they can faithfully recreate the winning car um and and put it on display that's huge yeah that's huge. Oh, most certainly 
And, you know, you, you made another really good point about, um, you know, if they can leverage this to be able to sell it in other ways, you know, sell it um, as, as wraps that maybe some, uh, you know, that, that people can put on their streetcars. You know, that's, that's uh, another terrific, um, you know, way to, to, I guess in the, their words, activate uh, fan interest. You know, that would be mm-hmm. something really cool. Um, so this is, uh, it's, I think this is a win all the way around. Um, and at the same time, I think it's also a, um, a pragmatic way to solve a, an issue uh, that's, that's come out of this new car, you know, and the, and the, um, the scarcity of cars and parts and so on and so forth. Um, and at the same time, still be able to serve the fans yeah oh yeah most certainly yeah so that that's my kind of takeaway and my my final thought of of this episode is um it seems like there has been um more so so far this year um than what we've seen last year and the year before and the year before um there seems to be not only the care in leveraging race fan interest and reaction to things, but also um, there's, there's, they're leveraging that fan interest um, and that fan reaction. And at the same time, they're doing a better job of showing that they care. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a good thing to see. Most certainly indeed. And I think it's good. I, I, I think it's good things to come with that. Definitely. So um, we've got some really exciting racing to watch this coming weekend. Um, I can't wait. It's going to be a ton of fun. And I can't wait to get back on here in episode number 33 and break it all down. And then uh, let's uh, let's jump into the rest of the season from there and see what happens. Um, But for now, episode number 32, this is Elliot Tardif saying thank you very much for listening. And can't wait to talk to you on the next one. And this is David Mai. Thank you for listening. Let's go racing, boys and girls. It is going to be a fun season. Yes, sir. This is From Checker to Green. (laughs) 